0: Welcome to the Commerce Tomorrow Podcast, your one stop to learn about the technology that's powering the future of commerce. Here are your hosts, Dirk and Kelly. Hi, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Commerce Tomorrow Podcast. Uh, I'm here actually today without Kelly. Um, uh, He couldn't make it, uh, uh, but it was very hard to uh, get some time out of Christoph, so we decided that we... Want to record that anyway. So therefore, I'm happy to introduce you to our special guest today, which is Christoph Gerber, CEO and founder of Telen One. Hi, Christoph. Hi, Dirk. Thanks
1: uh, for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining. And the weird thing is now we have two Germans talking in English in a podcast uh, episode. Um, yeah, but I, but I think we, we will get that done as we always have the Commerce Tomorrow um, episodes in English language for an international audience. Um, we, we have to follow that scheme. How, how are you doing today?
1: Good. I actually just arrived in Denmark. Uh, I'm first time out of out of Germany since I think five months and... The longest period I've ever been in in Germany uh, since I started Leverando, um I think thirteen years ago.
0: How was it to go limited. over the border there? It's, it's open now since since a couple of weeks, right? Uh,
1: it's sort of open. You have to show your passport, and uh, they normally ask for your like the reason you go. And my mom is half Danish, so we have a small summer house here. Um, and oh, then nice. you kind of have a, um, a registry that your family is a landowner. And, uh, with that part of the paper or with that little paper, you kind of can go come and go as you like, because you technically you have to have the ability to look after the property and um, okay it's, yeah, it's, because it's, I heard
0: otherwise you you need at least to spend a week on vacation, so they want yeah. to avoid the day tourists
1: exactly, but the property we have, which is in the family since uh before the war um it's farmland technically so okay. there's technically the possibility that we would have animals which we don't so i'm here enjoying the danish uh rainy summer uh so far and um being excited about our podcast
0: okay so let's dive straight into that um for everybody who does not know you can you give a, a brief introduction um, about yourself
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm Chris. I'm 34 years old. I'm originally from Berlin, Um, born in Berlin. I think one of the few Berliners in the Berlin startup um, (laughs) scene, so to say. And never really left Berlin. I went to high school in Australia and then did a gap year in Australia, did an internship there. And when I came back, I started um, studying at the University of Arts in Berlin, uh, so-called UDK. And I was never really a, t- like a, a academic person. I, I was never good to theory. I'm really I'm more like a doer, um, to the disappointment of my family who is full of professors and uh, teachers. And then a friend of mine actually had the idea to do s- like a food delivery thing, uh, which he, st- which he saw big in the US while he was an investment banker in New York. And that was Jörg. And mm-hmm. so we started a small company uh called Lieferando.de. And um When was it? Two thousand nine two thousand nine, two thousand ten. So I think the company was actually founded. I'm not sure anymore. But I think the company was technically incorporated December um two thousand and nine. I think. I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure. Two thousand nine December. And, um, that's kind of how we started. And I don't know why I had this weird, weird idea that I wanted started before, uh, 2009. Um, I remember that. So no idea why it doesn't make sense because you have to then make a, um, it's, it would have been smarter to just incorporate the first week of uh, 2010 from a, from a test, text perspective. But so we started Lieferatno and then Kai came on board. Um, and then we had three guys doing food delivery and, on a side note, if you look at the business right now, it's, I think if I look it up, a market cap takeaway group. Um, Do you still have shares? Um, no, I. we can come to that in a second. So the market cap is 15 billion euros. And when we started, our first valuation was 700,000 euros pre. And our first investment round was 150,000 euros. Um, it's very different to what we are now. And, um, Jörg, my, like Jörg, who's one of the three founders with me and Kai, uh, he still runs, uh, the Takeaway Group as a COO. Um, so mm-hmm. he's still in, in the business. And after Takeaway, after we took that business public, um, I started Telon One.
0: Yeah. When did you, um, Leave takeaway.com or Lieferando. That, that was 2015, 16, something like that. 16.
1: Right? So we merged we merged the business with takeaway uh, mm-hmm. on a nearly pro rato like on a nearly 50-50 basis in 2014 in April. And um, then the organization was quite big. And Kai and me, we still made a kind of a transition phase. And when it became clear that we're gonna we're going to IPO. Um, me and Kai, we decided we want to leave the company prior to the IPO um, because it's a very different thing to run a company that big um, to actually get your hands dirty and start moving. And at that point, it didn't have any financial implications for us. So a lot of people are. So oh, wouldn't you have made more money with, with the IPO happening and um, staying on board? And once for all, Financially, it would have been the same, except my salary as part of a takeaway, um, yep. takeaway slash if uh, management or like C-, C level position. My position would have been probably like a CPO um, position there. Um, and so Kai would have been like a chief sales officer, me a CPO. And I find that that size in a consumer facing business. In the food delivery, it was really like you've got three, four pages: postcode, entrance or delivery address, then you have the restaurant overview, menu page, checkout. That's 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 about it. Then you can work a lot of the on the on processes. But for me, at least, it was I didn't enjoy that in, that size anymore, and I also didn't enjoy the lack of speed we had in that organization, justified by the size. And then I decided to to leave.
0: Yeah, and it was a huge success, right, um, for the, the whole German startup scene and, and Berlin especially at, at that time. I, I think that made you one of the poster boys of the uh, Berlin uh, tech community. Um, so let, <laughs> let's see how, how how deep you want to go there <laughs> and uh, how controversial it is. But wh- what's your take on the Berlin tech and, and startup scene?
1: So I would say I was probably really into the whole Berlin startup scene until probably when the IPO happened and maybe a bit later. And at one point I found um, everybody's a bit too full of shit in, in all honesty. <laughs> and um, I don't think that's part of, maybe that's in every startup scene I or maybe every tech scene I, I've seen uh around the world from san francisco to l.a to berlin to sydney all places because
0: it's too much of a bubble or, or or where where, where, where do you I think people
1: people take themselves too too important and there's very um but that's just my personal take on it and maybe i have a extreme vision i have really good friends who totally enjoy participating and enjoying the ecosystem and uh, they make fun of me that i'm so fatal like you call it, uh, fatalistic that i'm just say uh, stay away with all that stuff and um there there are always i would say a lot probably a very a big chunk of people i wouldn't say the majority but they are a good very high percent or very good percentage of people who do relevant business who have a high degree of um, product sophistication. We have a great vision. Um, good friend of mine, Christian Henschel with Adjust, uh, for example, uh, we have a really clear idea. Um, there are other smaller startups who do really good jobs. But in general, I find it's a lot of people don't share, people execute ideas based on McKinsey PowerPoints and s- jump on trends and don't really think about, okay, what can I do? What do I enjoy? And Seeing themselves as too important as to what they actually are, uh, which you might need when you start a business that you get this hybrid, um, vision of yourself and you have to be like a bit of a, uh, Icarus and fly really close to the sun and uh, speak a lot about how cool you think, how, how good your business, uh, business is. But I found that where I, where I am in my professional life with the, with Liferando in the background and the financial success of Liferando and the entrepreneurial success of Liferando I get very little benefit out of being in the Berlin in the I would say average Berlin tech network um because I find I only grow with proper proper discussions and proper conversations with other founders who are keen to share what's not going well what's not working what is where they're struggling with, um, and I would say 95% of the time that doesn't happen. So I don't need to be part of that startup and tech scene. I do have, as I said, five to 10 people. I Some, some of them I call my friends. Some of them I'm just um, acquaintance and I meet them sometimes, but every time I meet them, I can have a serious discussion. Uh, but I would say probably the 95% of the people I meet through my job It's just business, and doesn't. I don't need to to spend my free time with them. I rather go hunting and work on cars.
0: Yeah, and I think you can, you you, you can, and and probably should, should do both, right? So I I often, especially in the founding years, um, when when I got asked about why I don't attend so many of the events, my my answer was I don't have time for sipping beer because I need to need to build a business here and and can't hang around uh, around all the time. On the other end. I was fortunate that I knew just personally out of my network, um, some, some successful, um, founders, um, who already went through a lot of struggle and, and, and issues and challenges that they had been open to share. So where I always said, okay, I, I, don't need to focus too much right now on a network. I also see the benefit if you're a young startup founder of, of at least having an ecosystem around, um, where, and I totally,
1: you, I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree with the network aspect that um that is important. But I even see with other people who are, I don't know, like one, two generation younger than me in terms of their when when they started their business, the people grow the good people are growing out of that network. They outgrow the average network. They reduce their exposure and they speak to less people. Um so at the beginning, you're in a pond with a lot of fish, and then some fish grow, and they only talk to the bigger fish. And
0: Yeah, you also need to look over the edge, right? Because um, at the end, if your business should become relevant, you need to solve real-world problems. And uh, as in one other podcast, somebody said, nobody cares about the problems of uh, Berlin Mitte. Um, and you could put any other um, um, hyped uh, city uh, into that, right? So um, that, that is very small ecosystems with very different problems and challenges that, that the rest of the world has, right? So um, just staying in that bubble, um, exactly. it's probably also not helping for, for growing the business is there anything um, and, and, and then we can can close that topic um, do, do you see any difference between Berlin or the German um, tech and startup market um, maybe from your founders view also now being being in, in your new company Talent One that we will talk about in a minute um, To especially in the US when it comes to fundraising to, to thinking on how you scale companies so what, what do you say that there is a, a core difference between uh, US tech companies and their environments, um, to, to uh, German uh, tech companies.
1: Um, I mean, I cannot say so much about it because I've never like actually worked or founded and fundraised in the US because Lieferando was very local at that point and not interesting to outside money. What I can say is with Talon One, um, nobody wanted to. Nobody in, basically in Europe wanted to give us money. And um, I had no, not a single German VC, even after we took Lieferando public. The track record that you already had, there was. Who no would public. go, who, yeah, who was, even with a 1 billion euro IPO. People wouldn't give me money. That, that's crazy. It. I wouldn't have thought about that. So we, we know each other personally. So just as a,
0: a, a spoiler remark, but I, this is I, I would that, that this is normally building networks and and founding the next company um, should be way easier
1: if, to rely if would, on. If I would have done if I would have done a marketplace, any kind of e-commerce business, something that a German VC can understand, yes, I probably would have gotten money quite easily, fast, high valuation. A tech company where nobody has done it and turn one is not a copy of a copy um turn one is basically an idea that I said there must be there must be customers for a product like that and that was the baseline I had, and there was nothing comparable in the market, and we had to develop everything ourselves, like including the idea um, there was no one, and so we got our money from the biggest um Australian fund. Okay. Um and there the the senior like the founding partner he, he said to me after looking through my ten page presentation, he's like Christoph I have no idea what you do. I have no like I have no idea what you what you gotta do. I don't understand your idea. Sorry, uh, my phone. Um I have no idea what you are going to do. I've no idea what your idea is, but you seem like a reasonable guy and uh here's the money. And then we sent them a term sheet, and we got the term sheet back with probably half of the the terms uh, crossed out in our favor. And I was like, uh, "Why would you do that?" And he said, "Like, look, if this company is going to be a success, I don't want to have any other shitty terms put in front of me by other VCs. And if your company is not going to be like, if your company is going bust, um, the terms don't matter anyway." And so this kind of shows you how I would say an Anglo-Saxon VC works very different to a German VC. I can just say from that, that there's, it's no wonder that there's no leading or there's, that there are no more German tech companies like pure tech players, because s- still until today, um, I would say that German VCs don't understand tech and, um, that's at least I in see. the majority,
0: I, I, I think this is still the case. If you look on on the companies that get built and,
1: and and yeah, but they, I think there are more and more then more and more VCs who do tech, but then they're really specialized. And oh, that's at least how I see it. I don't follow the VC market too close because it's not relevant relevant for us. Or I would never take money from a German VC anymore for telling one. Um, and what you see, the guys that I know that are more tech driven, they have really small funds. You know, they're like except the guys from Misofia, where um, the Alexander Alexandrovich yep. and um, so started something, better. which
0: they recently opened, right? So that that that's a, which a, a, they
1: just which is I don't know six months or three months yeah. old. Um, and the other guys like Fly Ventures, etc., where they're more techy. They these guys I don't know have 20, 30 million. and you can't make a dent with that. It's just like yeah, it's, purely it's, it's very fun, right?
0: So, but they yeah. Th- that's, yeah but that's so these true. are the guys
1: so there's a younger generation there's a younger generation probably our age and even a bit younger who would start to be more tech focused and have a better tech understanding and maybe that is that will come in germany within the next years that there will be more money for pure tech plays.
0: yeah so let's see if uh, you get some mails after this podcast uh, from <laughs> some founders that want an introduction to your australian uh, investor <laughs> but let, let's get into talent one so uh Tell us a little bit about uh, the company and especially the product that you are offering that was hard for for uh, some some uh, people to understand.
1: Okay, so basically when we started Lieferando or when we worked at Lieferando and did promotions at Lieferando, we did worked a lot with promotions. Um, 10 euros off for your next food delivery order, 5 euros off. And... We are, I always thought, and I was responsible for marketing and product. I always thought we're way, we're doing way, spending way too much money for a single user, but we should offer basically a segment of one. One person should get his offer that is targeted to what he wants or he needs or what would trigger him to do a purchase. Um, so we developed something in house purely. For Lieferando. and um, when I left Lieferando, I was like, maybe this is something we should uh, we should we should we should do and uh, sell to other companies. And Did
0: you already know that other companies also would have a lot of challenges with managing their um, discounts and promotions um, uh, across? Their so
1: I, I kind of I asked I asked around, and everybody was like, yeah, it's, we don't like it, and it's. Phew, it's not that, but most of them said, yeah, it's not a problem because it's the management, the very top management wasn't kind of out of touch with the marketing teams and so, I just said there must be market if if we wanted to, if we used it in every promotions and discounts, coupons or basically a promotion meaning some sort of benefit when you do a purchase is the oldest form of marketing in the me, medieval markets, you would probably buy two apples and get a uh get get a third apple for free. So that's a, that's a basic promotion. Um, and then we started developing basically a promotion engine which works, and you know, it's a bit more technical, which is a microservice. So big companies are now, when you enter, a good example, when you enter a coupon code in the US Burger King app um or Popeye's or even Ticketmaster in the US or Zipcar, if you enter a coupon code there, that coupon code is being sent to Talon One and then being sent back to Ticketmaster to tell you, yes, you get um, a discount on your NBA ticket for the Chicago Bulls. That's actually happening. If you buy a ticket at the Chicago Bulls, we check, Talon One checks if that ticket gets a discount or not. And you never see Talon One. Not even in the side. We mostly integrated, or we always integrate in the, we are always integrated in the back end uh the we talk to the backend. The customer never sees us. sometimes we are managing the loyalty program for them sometimes we for a zip car, it's when you park your car in certain areas you get a discount or when you refuel a car what you have in Germany with Share now or we share then you get um then you get a promotion or you get a discount of parking uh of three minutes. This is all handled by Telon One. By the way, if you get a discount of three minutes with WeShare, the VW car sharing company or share now, um, formerly, uh, drive now and, uh, car to go, they are also powered by Telon One. So any kind of discount you get with these guys, um, you, you, you basically come in touch with us. And
0: that, that's what I find is quite great fun. Great customer, right? That's so- pro- so
1: it's 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 good. European cu- customers, it's, it's US
0: customers, um, as, as far as, as, as I know.
1: Yeah, it's good customers for a product that German VC said nobody needed and wanted.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think what they what they did not know or understand is that um, the applications um, that these companies have or the solutions the offerings that they have to the consumers are actually created out of very different building blocks right and your platform is one building block to enable the uh, promotions and couponings and and part of the personalization and then they use something else for for um, um the customer management they use something else for the product and and order management and so on and they put all these pieces together to one solution, so they use all these services or microservices and build one huge application. And um, I, I think that that most people think that complex promotion management is something that I don't know one of the other systems um, are, are already providing.
1: Yeah, basically, it's um, exactly. It's like weird. Um, customers or VCs say, uh, "Look, we have customer, we have our startups. They use Magento. They use commerce tools, um, and commerce tools already has promotions inside. So why would they need in One?"
0: Don't make our promotions bad here, right? Um, <laughs> no kidding. Please your
1: promotions, ahead. your promotions are great, but um, I would say your core focus of commerce tools is not the promotion part, and your promotions probably solve the problem for. 85 to 90% of your customers. And that is fine. Um, but for the rest, the 10%, they need something more specialized, which your system can't deliver and should not deliver because that's not what you are focused on. It's like you don't compete against a Shopify. Um, Shopify does something totally different than you. In the, in a nutshell, they also do, cho- they also do shops, but your customer type is very different to them. Um, Especially the same with the Talon one Talon every little e commerce side has a promotion functionality, um, but at one point you need or some companies need something more specific and that's yeah. when we come in
0: yeah that's that's absolutely right right and the the bigger the customers get and the more customers they have right and um, the, the the more complex often. Um, the promotion requirements get right And out of a standard, um, if you say that this is just a component um, of your platform, it's something that that you can't cover w- which was interesting because uh, um, when when you started the company right so which is now f- five years ago when, when did you go public on that? So so uh, not like public. when did you go to market?
1: Uh, probably two and a half years really after we started so i think the, our product is really live since two i would say or, or it's a good product since two years i would say
0: yeah i think it was 2017 or so where we internally already said why is there nobody that's providing promotions as a platform um, just with an api and and solving this use case but solving it very, very good because um, there are so many customers or companies out there that have so complex models, and 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 with the um, yeah increase on uh, digitalization, um, it's, it's not getting easier, and and uh, additional uh, models will come out, so that you need a, a platform below that. So you already mentioned some promotions. Can you can you just? Give an idea on the variety of things that you can create. So, what what type of promotions um, are uh, do, do?
1: What uh, kinds of promotions do we offer? Yeah. Um that's a good question because how Talent One actually works is um, we have an underla- we have a rule engine which is um, kind of our own developed rule engine with our own language behind it because we didn't find any rule engine which is as as fast as we needed and as powerful and as Nothing. We're going to open source it, and I think you can already read through, read about it. Um, but basically, it's a rule engine which can which can digest any kind of data you send and do data transformation and make decisions based on um, criteria that you create. And as a result, you have something what we call effects, um, and an effect can be any kind of thing you you want it to be. So you can say, give it a discount on a basket. Give a discount on a basket item. Um, add or deduct or update a customer profile data, which can be loyalty points, which can be, um, for example, in adult entertainment, if you say, if you put in your visa card, um, we extend your trial period for another two weeks. Uh, if you refer a friend, we expand your trial period for another one week um so this is something you could do so there's really no limitations around um what you can build also from the data you you ingest we can use geof you can use geofencing in satellite one uh, we have a scooter company as a customer uh one of the bigger ones that where you can say oh i want to start if the customer starts his journey here and ends his journey there then he gets uh, his free rides updated by one um so this is something which is very easily to be, which can be easily configured for Ticketmaster. We, we also have customer wallets and loyalty wallets. The whole refund, um, problematic in the US when you go to Beyonce concert and that's being now canceled due to COVID-19. Um, every, every Ticketmaster in the US has a wallet. Every single wallet is hosted at Talon One. So we have the whole wallet loyalty management for companies like Ticketmaster. So it's quite diverse in, in what you can do. There's really no limitations because of the design of our system. And now the question to performance, which will always come after, okay, if you can do so much, how do you, how do you perform? And um, our average response time for just to give the, the audience an idea and with a the microservice, then we have another third party and it will slow our system down. The average turnaround time for a response inside Talon 1 is around 30 to 40 milliseconds. And that is. And how do you get that done? That is our internal rule. uh, How that's, that's design of our internal rule engine. um, Which 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 you designed from
0: scratch or have you, have you
1: built on? Which we designed, which we designed fully from scratch. Um, And that is what makes us so powerful. We also support. Another big customer, which is funny, which is from the same industry I come from, um, Just Eat, um, the biggest food delivery player, which was actually just bought by Takeaway um, a couple of months ago. But they do on a Saturday evening or Sunday evening, they do 200000 orders an hour. Even at that time, we we execute the response time in around 40 milliseconds. And I think that's... We're faster than any component, any component that they probably have, except maybe Agolia, the search engine, which <laughs> they're even faster, or maybe comparable. Um, but yeah, this this is what makes us also competitive. Because if you look at other people when they have two hundred million coupons or even a billion coupons in the database, your doesn't matter what system you have, the system is not designed to do that. And
0: our yep, system that has limits limits on scale, um, uh, or, or either of request or the data complexity. Um, it's, exactly. It's so, on the promotions, right? Um, is there there anything that, that you do uh, with the customers that you say, hey, this is how you should implement it? That you also uh, don't start to discount your company and make this uh. The price game, um, so um, that, that everything is just only promotion-driven, or do you say, okay, no, that's not part of our business. Um, we just give you the engine and use it as much as as possible, right? So in in U.S., there was uh, a JCPenney, right, uh, where at some time nobody wanted to buy anything anymore that was not getting highly discounted, where you did not have a coupon for um, which then uh, turns some some pressure on the business model um, in general. So, do, do you have some some thoughts on that? How to discount? What to discount? How to use promotions?
1: Um, or do you leave that up to the customer? Uh, I mean, we have a customer success manager for every customer, mm-hmm. and we help them with the, um, with, the design of, uh, with the design of the the design of the the, the integration and also with the design of the campaigns and um, what we really stay away from is telling our customers what to do uh, we don't know enough about their business as to inf- to make an informed decision or an informed um, recommendation across what they should do and what they shouldn't do uh, so I always say we're more like a screwdriver or a toolbox and how do, how you want to build your car or how you want to design your car is really up to you in the end. Okay. And we, we yeah. try to, we try to stay away. We get asked, like, we get being asked. That quite a lot. We also say, "Hey, why don't you build?" An I can imagine, right? So, like oh, Christoph, you had been yeah, you,
0: you had been CEO of Lieferando. You 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 run this huge business. You you have so much experience also practically out of your past with dealing with promotion. So I'm sure that at least the companies that you're selling to try to reach out to you and ask you, "Hey, w- w- what are your recommendations here?"
1: Yeah, I mean, last year I think we we gave, or even this year we probably give discounts in the range of. Over one and a half to two billion euros. Um, that's a discounts amount that is being channeled through our system. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at the marketing budget, so we only thirty people at Talent One. I would uh, say so that's that's quite significant. But we never touch the customer data. We never do comparisons. We never do analysis on it. We really say we're going to stay away from that. Um, okay. We focus on being a toolbox. Uh it could be a nice addition, but it also makes things more complicated. Then you start being an agency if you want to build some sort of a i on it um you also give yourself you also give a promise to a customer that you do something better than they do and I would say we when when we say we tell them one does something better than they do, that promise we can keep to make informed decisions around we're gonna run your promotions better than you do um with ideas around what you should do and the amount of money you should spend i think i don't at the moment i don't have the confidence uh in ai and stuff like that to make that decision without a human being involved
0: yeah no um um, fair, fair point um A question on the the microservices. Um, You you already mentioned it and also the differentiation to a commerce platform and um, that that there are specialist tools out there that can solve uh, uh, some very complex problems um, just better um, as some platforms um, that are looking more general at those. Um, And so as as we're moving to a world where more and more API offerings are coming out, um, do you have thoughts about how granular those should be, right? So if we, if we take your offering example, right? So you, you have uh, all the promotions, coupons and so on as a service. Is there space for a vendor that just does a sub piece also of that? So could you say that this part of the business could also be more granular? Somebody just offering coupons or a commerce platform that is not offering products or customers and just have cards and and all the other stuff around like products customers and so on needs to come from somewhere i mean how small is too small maybe
1: like that at the beginning i mean we were told talent one is too small and we are now profitable company uh we're growing nicely not sharing numbers here but i mean you can confirm i'm i'm quite open with you about my numbers um I think there is, I'm not sure there's a too small because what we also offer is a loyalty. You can do the same thing with loyalty in our wallet solution that Ticketmaster is using Talon one for loyalty on top of the coupon promo product. And there are a lot of pure player loyalty companies. There are also companies in our space that came after us that only do the coupon as a, as a API service, but their pricing is I don't know, like 10 euros a month, 20 euros a month. And maybe it's like two, three people just doing that as a side job. They have customers. Um, so it's really around how big of a market you want to address and um, how big is the problem. And I think sometimes you don't, you become very granular and you think yeah, this might be a niche product. But then you see, oh, maybe you're being, becoming so specialized in that single thing that um, it's actually not a niche product anymore. Like uh, the search the uh, what's the search API called? I uh, mentioned before, Agolia. Um, mm-hmm. We think why is that like that's a search field for an e-commerce store or an e-commerce website or something? Why would that be in like a its own API? And it makes total sense. Or an API for reducing image sizes on on e-commerce pages, which does only one thing: you send an image there, and it's re- being reduced and it's being sent back to increase load like page load. Um so the thing is if it's a niche product, if it's a niche solution you do, but a it has a lot of customers, it can be a very successful thing, or a talent one, which is a niche product which is more expensive and more relevant for bigger companies. So we don't have as many we can't have as many customers as a um as a small image reducing API. Uh but we're I would say it was significantly more complex, but on the same time we have we sell bigger tickets. So I think it's an equation in the end. Um,
0: yeah. And I agree, right? So I think as long as you solve a very specific problem better than than um, uh, it, it gets solved in the general way, plus it has a high relevance for your customer that they are willing to paid for, um, then there's always a market, and then you just need to figure out how how big that that probably is so um, uh, one qu- or two more questions i think we are running uh, 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 to the end of this episode um so you are like li- li- yeah in, like in the recent years um there had been a different kind of, of class of new multi-tenant software as a service vendors right so some some uh, also out of Berlin, uh, like uh, Contentful. Um, and and uh, then there are a bunch of others in the US um, that are just focusing on the specific needs um, of, of companies and providing solutions there in, a, in a, a very similar way. And also with a very similar, I would say, philosophy and approach. If you look at yourself and other startups that had been founded 10 plus years ago? What would you say differentiates you from from now and 10 years ago or what, what maybe has changed in the market?
1: Well, tough question. Um, I would say probably the education around how things are done, how you look at the markets more on a global scale. I would say content for you guys and tell one, we don't see ourselves. I mean, we are a German company, you guys are a German company. Contentful is a German company, but from a DNA perspective, I would say we—all of us—would say we serve the world from a capitalistic mm-hmm. point of view, um, or we we see the whole world as our customers, and we are regional agnostic, um, as opposed to when we to, when I started ten years ago, you looked you looked at what's your market, Berlin, Cologne. Germany, then you looked at France, then you looked at Poland, then you looked at the UK maybe, and maybe at the US. And I think software as a service companies now, even being started in Germany, have a very different approach to how they look at the world. The world has become a much smaller place than it was 10 years ago. I invested in a small startup, um, Lumiform, uh half of this uh, ten people now um half of their customers are from South America. They have no idea why, but that's just how it is and um they know a bit why but it's it's not like oh they sit in Berlin, Berlin mit and they servicing trying to serve in Germany or Europe. they're trying to serve the world <laughs> and um I think that's the that's the understanding that say now software as a service companies have in uh in Germany or Berlin or yeah. in case of you guys Munich
0: no. no that's that's a good answer so last question um where do you see yourself and talent one going then in the next uh, uh one two years
1: also a tough question which I get asked by my team a lot and I can't really give a i don't i would say I'm not a big vision guy uh for for companies I have an idea on what i want to build uh, my favorite story is actually I told my dad 10 days before we got the uh, merger offer from Delivery Hero, which then turned out to be – we then moved to Takeaway. 10 days before that, I told my dad, I think I'm not, never never going to make any cent with Lieferando. I think uh, it's going to be uh, – I'm going to have to move back into my parents' place because I'm going to stay poor the rest of my life. Um, so I didn't have the vision there. Uh, with Talent One, what we want to do is build a world-class product Um, with health, healthy growth with a team, with an environment where people like to come to work or work from home. Um, and just keep doing what we're doing. Um, I don't have the vision to. I find it a bit ridiculous to say we want to. But I think our-
0: that's a good good vision, right? It's it's not about about offices or or, or, or right. So n- n- numbers will come and and other things happen. Um, but at least I think uh, if you need if to you- have a strategy for your for your product. Um, and the market.
1: But I think we we pretty not pretty much know where we want to bring the product to. And if I look at the presentation I did about our product four and a half years ago, or we, I would say we still ninety five percent. We have a 95% overlap with what I firstly, how I envisioned our product. And we're still 95% at that part. So we, we we only left the 5% that are missing. We left out because we found people don't need it. And that's what we're still working on. And to and sort of the vision is to make that even better. And through our clients, we learn a lot and see features that they would like to have. So this is what we're building on. then I just think a good company will always, my main focus is to build a great company. And that has a variety of factors from financial success to employee satisfaction to me enjoying going to work there, to have a non-stressful environment for my team. And then we will see what follows.
0: Yeah, but I think that's a good, good, good uh, answer. I was asked uh, uh, last week, um, uh, how do I want the company to be in, in two, three years from now on? Um, and I said, okay, given the growth and change that we are having, one of my main goals is that it's still a company that I would like to go to work for. And uh, that that's actually a great place where I would like to work for. And when I can keep that while growing it, then actually I would say that uh, it, it was a success. So. Um, I I can hear you there. So uh, I think that's a wrap. Um, Thanks, uh, Christoph. It was um, uh, a very uh, interesting chat. Um, I think also um, a lot of uh, interesting uh, learnings um, uh, for for everybody who was uh, listening to the episode. And uh, good luck um, with everything else that is uh, coming to you and to Talent One.
1: Thank you very much, Dirk. Then I'll speak to you later.
0: Speak to you soon and thanks everybody for listening.